Good to see you. How are we doing? Doing okay? Okay, we have a lot to do in a short amount of time, so we got to get right to it. Okay, you ready to get to work today? You ready? Okay. If you have a Bible, you can take a Bible out. There's a black Bible in the seat around you. Uh, if you um, don't own a Bible, you can have one uh, as a gift from us. Uh, we're also going to have the scriptures up on the screen for you as well. So uh, today is Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday to all of you. And we're going to look at um, Luke's account of Palm Sunday, uh, pull a few different um, ideas from that um, in relation to the sermon series that we're talking about, Resurrection Investigation. And we're we, last week we looked at um, a couple different um, references. There are some extra biblical references to the proof of Jesus, the proof of his followers. There was non-Christian historians that proved the existence of Jesus, and there were certain things that they believed about Jesus uh, that we know, as if you're a Christian, that we know to be true, but there was extra-biblical uh, examples of that uh, and what those uh, non-Christian historians said about Christianity uh, that gives us some evidence of, of Jesus. Uh, we also talked about that's different in Christianity uh, than any other religion is amongst one of the things is um, early, the early writings. Um, our New Testament uh, was written um, not centuries um, after um, the claims of the resurrection of Jesus, but uh, literally decades, uh, just, a, just a few years. So that is also different than any other world religion. Their world religions, their, their documents were written centuries later. Christianity, their documents were written decades, decades later. Uh, they were eyewitnesses. The, the claims of Christianity is, is that they saw a risen Jesus. Not that they believed that one who they didn't see die and they didn't see rise. That's not what their claims were. Their claims were we saw him alive and therefore they started documenting what they saw and what they heard him teach. I'm not a Christian because of what Jesus teaches. We talked about that too. Those are hard teachings, right? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. You know, don't worry about anything, but trust God with everything. Uh, you know, hate your, your brother and your sister and your, you know, wife. You know, hate, the, and Jesus said, in comparison to me, that's the kind of what it should be in, when it comes to our relationship. These are hard teachings of Jesus, aren't they? I'm not a Christian because of what Jesus taught. I'm a Christian of what, because of what Jesus did. Because of what Jesus did, he beat death. He rose from the grave. And therefore, because he beat death, because he rose from the grave, I am going to try and do to the best of my ability and the power of the Holy Spirit within me to do what he tells me to do because he beat death. Christian, right? Christian? Okay. And so that's why they were witnesses. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, said, I want you to be my witnesses. And, and, and they were saying, of course we're going to be your witnesses because we saw you die on a Roman cross. And then after three days, we saw you rise from the grave and they touched him personally, touched him. Before that happened, though, is where we sort of celebrate today called Palm Sunday. And we're going to look at Luke's account of Palm Sunday in Luke chapter number 19. And when he, when he approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples. Now, I highlighted two of his disciples because all of the gospel account, uh, they, they don't mention who those disciples are. Um, verse 30, saying, go into the village ahead of you there, and as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say... The Lord has need of it, verse 32. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? Like, why are you taking my colt? Like, can you imagine these two disciples are walking into the city and they're starting, they find this colt that, and they start untying this colt. And he, the owner says, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And then uh, Mark fills in other details, but they brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and they put Jesus 
on it. And he, as he was going, they, were spread, they spread their, co- their coats on the, on the road. And as soon as he was approaching, verse 37, as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And this is a quote from, from Psalms of David. And it says in um, verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Because they were declaring him to be God. They were declaring him to be Lord. They were declaring him to be Yahweh. And the Pharisees were saying, wait a second. You're declaring this man to be the son of the God. You're declaring this man to be the Lord. And he said, the Pharisees said, teacher, tell your disciples to stop. And verse 40, but Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. I love that. Don't you love that? He said, if they stop praising me, then the rocks are going to cry out. That's how glorious he is, and that's how beautiful he is. That's how mighty he is. He's the Lord, and he's demanding that all of creation cry out and shout in his name. So I want to just take a couple of concepts from that story um, and, and just sort of give what I think are some other evidences of the resurrection of Jesus First of all, in the Gospels, you're going to see those that brought us the story of Jesus. And I don't know if, and again, this is not true, this is is just conjecture, but I I don't know why the disciples, um, the two disciples that went ahead and took the cult, I don't know why. In none of the Gospel recordings of it, um, they never are mentioned. We don't know who they are. And I don't know if they were maybe like, a little embarrassed, you know, that they were, they were the ones that stole the cult. cult. I, don't, I don't know. I'm, it's just, just conjecture. But listen, and maybe they're like, you know what, all throughout the story of Jesus, maybe they said, you know what, Matthew, Mark, Luke, can you just not mention our names? <laughs> like, they're, you know what, they were used to having embarrassing moments that were recorded about them. I mean, just look at Peter, for example. By the way, Peter, according to the Catholics, was their first pope. And, and Peter was what we know as Jesus said was the cornerstone of, of our faith. I mean, I mean G- Peter did, we'll talk about that in a minute. But Peter, when he when records the, the, the life of Jesus, I mean, Peter looks like a buffoon. I mean, he looks like a buffoon. I mean, he, you know, a certain, certain time where, you know, Peter was literally called Satan by Jesus. You know, he was, you know, he was, you know, Jesus was telling about you know, how he was going to die. And then after three days, he was going to rise from the grave. And, and it says that Peter brought Jesus over to the side and began to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I mean, can you imagine that being recorded about yourself in the story of Jesus that you're called Satan? I mean, another occasion was that Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and the disciples were, were there with him, just a few of them, and Peter was one of the disciples that was with Jesus. And Jesus was asking his disciples to simply just do, would you simply just pray? Would you simply just pray for me in this moment? And Jesus, would, on two occasions, would go and check on Peter and, and some of the other disciples, and you know what he found them doing? Sleeping sleeping and they recorded this they were like they they weren't doing nobody has ever like prayed and fell asleep have they you don't want to you're never gonna admit to that right listen I'll admit to that I've been praying I you know I wake up the next morning like whoops you know like this these are things that were recorded in the text I mean and you know Peter what Peter, when Jesus was taken off to be arrested, you know, Peter sort of followed along, and then some little girl, some middle school little girl called Peter out. Peter didn't deny Jesus one time, right? He denied, didn't deny Peter t- Jesus two times. He denied Peter how many times? Three times. I mean, this is recorded about Peter in the Gospels. This is embarrassing stuff. Those who brought us the story of Jesus were okay with writing some things that were honest about how they acted. 
Matthew, Matthew, uh, another gospel writer who brought us the story of Jesus. Matthew starts his gospel out with the genealogy of Jesus, the, the Son of God, the Christ, the, our Lord, the creator of all things. And here's what Matthew, as he's beginning to write out his gospel, he begins to pen some things up in Jesus' Jesus's genealogy that if it was up to me and I was making up a story about a, a guy named Jesus, who was going to be the savior of the world and he was going to beat death, there's some names in there that I wouldn't include if it was up to me. Here's what Matthew wrote in the genealogy of Jesus. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Now, I, got, I wouldn't even talk about that story, the Judah and Tamar story. I, you wouldn't catch me talking about that story ever in church. It's disgusting. Okay? If, like, those of you who think that, that the Bible is innocent, listen, the Bible is rated R. Okay? Like, if we're going to talk about the Bible, there's some stories in the Bible that, listen, I don't even want to talk about. And when the writer is writing this and he's saying, listen, this is where the lineage of Jesus and where Jesus came out and it was from Tamar, I'm going, why would you put her in there? He goes on, he says in verse number five, we skip to verse number five, he says, and Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab? You know what? Rahab had a tagline with her name throughout the scripture. Rahab the... I made all of you say it. I love this. This is a <laughs> crazy church. All of you said prostitute. Some said harlot. Listen, she was a prostitute. This is a part of the Jesus genealogy. This is the stuff that if you're making up a story of our Christ, you're putting her in there? Now, Matthew isn't even done. And this is one I'm going, Matthew, seriously. What are you, what are you thinking? So verse 6, look at it says. And Jesse was the father of David the king. Yes! Like, now, now we're talking, Matthew. Like, we love David. David fought Goliath. He was awesome. What, a sto what stories of David. But then it says, and David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba. Wait a second. This is just going wrong. Who had been the wife of Uriah? What? What are you doing, Matthew? Like, it's, you could have just said he was a father of David, you know, who was a father of Solomon by Bathsheba, and just, just cut it off there. But why did you have to bring up all of that dirt again? Because you know, I mean, that was Uriah's wife, and David wasn't where he was supposed to be, and David brought Bathsheba into his palace, and Boy, that was a whole lot of covering up of lies and even murder. Matthew, that's embarrassing. Don't, you're, you're, we're trying to make a case for the glory of Jesus and he's the son of God, he's the Lord. And you're talking about these things that are embarrassing. Mark, you know what Mark puts? I, Mark, what are you thinking, Mark? Mark, in Mark chapter number 3, he describes um, how Jesus' earthly family felt about Jesus. And here's what Mark says. And he came home, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal, in verse 21, when his own people, and that phrase means, his own people means his own family, heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, he has lost his senses. Jesus' own people said, you're crazy, man. You've lost your mind. You've lost your senses. Why are you writing this? And then it says in the next verse, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed. He's demon-possessed, and he's cast out demons by the rulers of demons. So listen, he, he's described as somebody who is a demon-possessed crazy man by his own family and peers. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Jesus was called a drunkard. Jesus was, you know it was recorded in the Gospels, a couple of the Gospels, that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
that he actually questioned God about his mission? I mean, why would you record your leader, the one who we're supposed to put all of our trust in, in the garden of Gethsemane, praying to his father going, take this cup from me. Who, why would you put that? The reason why they did that, and the reason why they recorded all that, is because it happened. Is because it happened. It be, it's because it's true. If you're making up a story, you're not telling things embarrassing about yourself. Who does that? If you're trying to make yourself look good, you're not telling things about yourself that were embarrassing. Who does that? But they did that because they wanted to make sure that the life of Jesus and as many details as they could give were all recorded and that it was true. It was true. It was embarrassing things that took place. You know, one of the problems, not a problem, it's one of the things that skeptics have against Christianity. And one of the things that skeptics have against Christianity is that there is zero evidence, zero proof of the exodus of the nation of Israel, of the Jewish people out of Egypt. But think about this for a second. Think about this. Of course there isn't. Of course there isn't any evidence of that. What Egyptian press secretary would write, there was a former prince, adopted prince in Egypt who killed one of our people, who fled to Midian and was a shepherd for 40 years. He came back after 40 years being Egyptian's number one most wanted man comes back and leaves a half million people out of their slavery, out of their oppression, and into a promised land. What Egyptian press secretary would say that? None of them. They didn't want anybody to know that that happened. So therefore, nobody documented it, which is what you normally do. You never as a nation show your weakness. That never happens. That's why there's no evidence of the exodus out of Egypt. It's because nobody, they were too embarrassed to record it. But not the story of Christianity. Not the story of Jesus. They wanted everybody to know, and Peter didn't care what people thought of him. James, the brother of Jesus, said, yeah, I thought he was a lunatic. You can go on and on and on through the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew, why are you writing this? Why are you putting Tamar in there? Why are you putting Rahab in there? Why are you telling us that Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah? Why are you doing that? Because it was true. Because it happened. Because it happened. No other examples in history is there a movement so honest and willing to give embarrassing testimony to how their faith began. But then something happened. Peter went from a buffoon to bold. Like, like a light switch, like almost overnight. It was just like, what was it that Peter, you went from being, you know, a coward and a wimp and a buffoon to courageous and confident and bold. You went from Peter hiding in a house to now you're speaking to thousands of people proclaiming who Jesus is? What happened? Well, an event happened. A moment happened. What happened was, they saw or heard, they didn't see because they were afraid for their own lives, so they ran away. 
They heard that he died. They heard that he was buried, which, by the way, none of his closest friends buried him. You know who buried Jesus? Was Joseph of Arimathea. You know who Joseph of Arimathea is? He was on the council of the, of the council who ordered his crucifixion. You know who went to the tomb after a couple days to make sure that the body was prepared? It wasn't John, and it wasn't Peter, and it wasn't Andrew, and it wasn't Bartholomew. It wasn't any of his guys. It was the women who went to the tomb. How do we know that? Because the gospel writers wrote down that the women went to the tomb. Why would they do that? Because that's what happened. And you know that there was, it was not helping their cause to write that the women went to the tomb. Because, this is not me saying this, this is how culture was. Women had no credibility when it came to their testimony. So why would they write it down? Because it happened that way. But a light switch happened. Everything changed. What was it? They saw him alive so peter goes from hiding in a house to now proclaiming the gospel to a point to where after a few years a few decades proclaiming the gospel that he what they saw that that he his message was you killed him we've seen him say you're sorry that was peter's three-point outline you killed him We've seen him. Say you're sorry. That was what he said. And thousands of people said, we're sorry. (laughs) We believe you. There's too many people that have seen him alive. We believe you. And they were willing to die for that. As a matter of fact, Jesus told Peter after Jesus had a conversation with Peter post-resurrection. Let me just give, give that to you real quickly in John chapter 21. In verses 18, this is the conversation with Jesus and Peter post-resurrection. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. And you know what John recorded? Because John was probably the, 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 uh, the, the, the writer who wrote the latest Probably in somewhere 80, 90. Here's what John wrote in John 21 because Peter was already dead when he wrote this. Now this he said signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this he said to him follow me. Jesus told Peter post-resurrection this is how you're going to die. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. Peter was arrested somewhere in around AD 66 by Nero who declared himself an enemy of God and wanted to single-handedly wipe out Christianity and he arrested Peter, put Peter into a prison cell called the Matter Time Prison which was made up of two levels cut out into a rock and Peter was placed in the lower level of the Matter Time Prison where it was complete darkness they never cleaned it and it stunk so bad that people died of poisoning because of the stench in the matter time prison where most spent one night before their execution but not Peter Peter spent nine months in the lower level of the matter time prison before he was led out by Nero's guards led to Nero's circus and then ultimately crucified legend says upside down we don't really know that but legend tells us that Peter requested to be crucified in a different manner than his savior but was offered one request and that was if he recants his faith in Jesus he and his wife by the way because there's historians who tell us that his wife was also arrested and his wife was also executed and he told his wife before they were led to be executed oh thou remember the Lord and they were led out before thousands of people in Nero circus and crucified for not what they believe because people die for what they believe all the time. He, they were crucified for what they saw. For what they saw. 
Thomas, remember Thomas? What is Thomas known as? Thomas? Doubting Thomas, right? Unless I see and touch and feel. You know what happened after Thomas saw Jesus, after he, Jesus let him? Go ahead, go ahead, touch, go ahead. Put your, hand, put your fingers in the holes of my hand. Go ahead, feel. Jesus is all okay with people checking him out and feeling him out. You know what happened to Thomas? Thomas went ahead and started a church in the east. It was called the Church of the East. And he went to India to start the church and proclaim the gospel. There was some, a Hindu sect that was envious of Thomas's success. They were so jealous of Thomas's success that one day Thomas was praying in a cave in the Indian hills and he was praying in a cave and this Hindu sect came in and they began to destroy him and torture him and ultimately kill him by driving and thrusting a spear through his side. And all the while Thomas, according to historians, was praying for those while they were torturing him. How does he go from doubting Thomas to dedicated Thomas? There's only one explanation. He saw and he touched a risen Jesus. Paul, man. Before he was Paul, he was Saul. And Saul was a persecutor of the church. He was Saul the persecutor. But then he became like a light switch. He became Paul the apostle. For the church of Jesus Christ. What happened, Paul? You went from wanting Christians arrested and associating in their murder when Stephen was murdered. Paul, or Saul, excuse me, at that time, was holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen to death. While, all the while, Stephen is praying for those as he's being killed. And Saul is there, and then ultimately Saul after persecuting the church, has an experience, according to our scriptures, has an experience, and he sees Jesus alive, and it transformed his life. He went from a persecutor to now an apostle, and that only happened because of one reason. They saw Jesus alive. Only one reason for that. People will die for religious beliefs if they sincerely believe they're true people will die for religious beliefs if they sincerely believe that they're true but these people peter thomas all of the disciples except for one and i'll get to him in a second didn't die for what they believed was true because people won't die for their religious beliefs if they know that their beliefs are false. If they know they're false. These guys were too close to Jesus to even be willing to die for something they knew was false. I mean, what did they have to gain? They were Jewish men and women. By the way, if you were a Jewish man or woman, that you believed that your faith was God's special faith. Like you believe that you were God's chosen people. The nation of Israel believed that they were God's chosen people. So why would they turn their back on that? When they, when they put their faith in Jesus, you know what happened to them? They were excommunicated out of the synagogue. They could no longer worship with any other Jews. They were excommunicated out of the synagogue. They were beaten. They were tortured. And ultimately, they were killed. Why would they do that? For one reason, they saw a risen Jesus. They didn't try to start a movement because of something that they knew was false. They wouldn't give their life for that. Right? One disciple didn't die natural death. One disciple. You know who that was? John. Out of all the guys that I thought would have died young and died in a horrific way, John didn't die. John died a natural death, but it wasn't without trying. You know what happened to John? John, uh, Domitian, which was the second emperor of Rome after Nero, he tried to execute John as well. John, so he had a vat of boiling oil. 
And they arrested John, and they brought John in, and they, they dropped John into this vat of boiling oil. This is recorded by historians. Not, not, no, none of the gospel writers or any of the writers that brought us the story of Jesus record this, this happening. But this is historians that wrote this. They dropped John in a vat of boiling oil, and he was praying the whole time, according to historians, and he survived. He didn't die. He, he, they, they pulled him out and, they, and the whole crowd decided this is not the day to kill him. I think somebody else decided that for them. So then they tried a second time to kill John. And you know what they did? They made him drink poison. And you know what happened to John? He lived. He lived. And then they thought, forget this, we can't kill this guy. Let's just exile him to an island called Patmos. And that's what they did. So he quarried rocks for the rest of his life, which we believe was the reason because why that happened was so that he can get a revelation from God. And he wrote what we have as known as the book of Revelation, which, by the way, tells us of the story of how we win in the end. Isn't that amazing? Why would they do this? Why would they go through this? There's only one explanation. There's only one. Why would they go from letting writers write about these embarrassing things about them to being bold and courageous and confident? Why would they do that? There's only one explanation. They saw him alive. Period. That's it. That's the only reason of why it says in acts i want to close with this in acts chapter number four it says this this is when the church just this is another example of evidence of why we believe what we believe and it says in acts early in acts that the church just began to explode you had these guys that were, had just these embarrassing stories that they told. It was just like, why would you put them in there? But then they had these, just these change, this 180 turn of being bold and courageous. And there's really one explanation, and it's because of who they saw. And it tells us this. It says that when they had been released, so Peter and John um, were a part of this amazing miracle that happened that where this man who was lame um, was healed. And it was the power of Jesus that healed this man. And this man began to, which was once hung out at the outside of the temple, was now walking and leaping and praising God. So the, all the people are going, we got to figure out what to do with this. And all of the skeptics of, of the Jesus movement were trying to figure out, how do we handle this? But there's nothing they could do because they saw this guy who they all recognized was lame and crippled. And they now see him walking and jumping and leaping and praising God. They got to figure out what to do here. So they decided we need to arrest the two guys that were responsible. So they arrest Peter and they arrest John. John and Peter were now getting used to this. And after a while they decided that they had no charges against them. There was really nothing they could do because of the evidence that they saw. The proof that they had before them that, that something miraculous happened. And they were still trying to figure out what to do. But they began this. And when they had been released, verse 23, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And what they said to them was simply this. You need to stop talking about this thing called Jesus. You need to stop talking about the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, Oh Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, why do the Gentiles rage? They're quoting now Psalm 2. Why do the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? And the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. To do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. He says this, and they say this. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. 
take note of their threats. And what they say next is, I think, different than what American Christianity, Western culture Christianity would pray. What I would pray and what I think many of you would pray was, listen, we had a horrific experience. It was a terrifying ordeal. They almost you know, whipped us, they almost beat us, they almost tortured us, and we got out of, it, uh, out of it unscathed, but maybe next time we won't get out of it unscathed. So God, will you protect us? God, will you, you know, steer me clear from that again? That's what I would pray, but that's not what they prayed. What I would pray was, protect me. What I would pray was, watch over me. What I would pray was, get me to avoid those confrontations. Get me to avoid those threats. Get me to avoid that conflict. But that's not what they prayed. They said that you would grant your bond servants. That's us. May speak your word with all confidence. That's what they prayed. While you extend your hand to heal. So they were saying, listen, God, what you're wanting to do in the lives of people is bigger than us. What you're wanting to do in the lives of people is something that is out of our control, but we just want to do our part and to aid in the process of seeing lives healed, seeing lives changed. I got to tell you that I have seen God heal people. I have seen him restore people. I have seen him change lives of people. He is in the life changing healing process that's the kind of God that we have and they were just saying God God give us the confidence to do what we can do so that you can do what only you can do and that is to bring your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus And they prayed. The place where they gathered together was shaken. Boy, I long for that moment to happen in here. Some of us need to be a little shaken up a bit, I think. Some of us need to get a little bit of like some, some enthusiasm, some zeal, some excitement, some like, hey, what my faith is, is not built on a house of cards. My faith is built on something much stronger than that, much more firm than that. My faith is built not on the sand of anything this world has to offer, but on the solid rock of the testimony and the history of Jesus Christ. That's what my faith is built around, and nothing other than that. Listen, I don't stand here today because I love this. I stand here today because I believe what I know to be true. It is not just a heart thing. It is a head thing for me. You look at the evidence, and the evidence is enough for me to say, this happened. This happened. And Jesus tells me to have a different perspective. Jesus said, you need to have a different framework when you see life. And this is the framework that happened to those guys and those gals after they saw Jesus alive. They had a different perspective on life. They had a different framework on life. And it wasn't the temporal. It was the eternal. It was the eternal. I don't care what you do to me, they said. I'm paraphrasing I don't care what you do to me. You can take my life. That is fine with me. Because for me, Paul says, for me to live for Christ, to die is gain. Is gain. And so what Jesus did, they said, you know what Jesus did? Jesus changed the whole framework for me. That I'm realizing now that my life is not about me. Listen, I've said this to you before, and I have to remind myself, I am not the starring role in the life, in my life. You're not the star role. He is. He is. They, they just decided, listen, my life and existence of life is not about me. It's about him. 
always been about him. Always been about him. And when that became a reality for them, just a switch came on. And they came out of hiding. And they went out in the streets. You killed them. We've seen them. Oh, by the way, there's over 500 people around town that have seen them too. Say you're sorry and come join us. Because our gathering and our community is different than any community. It's called the church, by the way, and it's an amazing thing to be a part of. That community is different and unique than any community that's ever been created. And that's what I want you to come and I want you to be a part of our church community so we can, with boldness and with confidence, proclaim who Jesus is. Are you with me, Market Street Church? When they pray, the place was gathered together and was shaken. Hopefully you're shaken right now. I'm, I'm shaken right now. I need to get done here. But then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. I hope that that's our prayer. I hope our prayer isn't always health, wealth, and happiness. That's a good American dream kind of prayer. That's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. The gospel and the men and women who brought us the story of Jesus, their prayer was, give me confidence to go back out there so that I can see you do a great work. Give me boldness so I can stand up against those who threat against my faith. Give me the boldness to stand up for them. And to know that what I believe That's what I hope our prayer is today. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, please. And Brent's going to lead us in the song. And I want you to take this opportunity right now, if you could. And I'm going to take this opportunity right now. And I'm going to ask God to give me more confidence and more boldness. To be able to share my faith and to have the courage to say, you know what? This isn't just something that's built on house of cards. This is something that has a solid rock foundation. And this movement is still going. And people by the thousands are coming to know Jesus. This is not just something that we made up here. This is real. This is real. So that he's going to lead us in this song. And I want us to take this moment of time to worship him and to pray, God, give me what I need. Give me what I need.
the earth will shout your praise. Sing that with me. Understanding what our mission and vision is here at Market Street Church, so we had some families that went uh, and went through that class. Chris and Lynn and Mike and Amanda, I know are coming. Come on up, guys. Would you mind, guys? Come on, come on up. Yeah, yeah. And if you are in that class, you're welcome to join them. They they wanted to, they they said to me, we would love for um, we love to be a part of this ministry. Uh, we want to be a part of this church. Yeah. So, yeah. They went, they went through the, the five-week class, and they under, learned what, what it, this is all about, what we do here, why we do it, and, and uh, so I'm really, I, I've said this already to you personally, but I want to say it publicly. I am honored to be able to be your pastor. I am honored by that. Uh, I am I, going to give everything that I can to help you uh, be uh, better followers of Jesus Christ, and you are going to do the same for me. And you've already have, you guys have already have helped me uh, in my faith, and, and I hope it's the same. And, and all of them here um, uh, as well, we're, we're a family, that's what we are, that's what we are. We're a family, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and uh, they're wanting to be a part of our Market Street Church family. And so they went through the class, uh, they all have been saved, and they all have been baptized, biblically baptized by immersion. Um, and so we, as a, just part of our, our constitution, we ask you, those of you that are already partners or members here, uh, to vote them in. And uh, so uh, to signify that, would you raise your right hand and say, Jesus? All right, you're in, guys. That was it. That was it. <laughs> All right. So, so um, normally you go that way. But I want you to come this way, and they're going to stay here, and I want you to greet them, 
and love them as say I think welcome to our family and uh, and if you're wanting to be a uh, part a partner with us at Market Street Church we want you to help we want to help you with that and and, uh, and you know we'll, we'll we'll get you through uh, through that in class it's just a class to help people so that everybody's on the same page and everybody understands what what uh, their responsibilities are because there are responsibilities to be a part of a local church and we want to we want to hold people to that that responsibility because not because we want to be like a club that's not what we're interested in being but we're we want to be a, a, a church that's that's on the move to advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ and, we, and that's a that's important to us and so um, so we want everybody to understand that so um, I, I also just say uh, I don't know if you know this or not but next week is Easter and uh, that's a sort of a big time for church and that's an easy time for you to invite it's really easy so you don't even have to really pray for boldness I, you should you should, but go ahead and pray for boldness anyways, and invite somebody to come with you uh, to Easter Sunday service next next week at 11, okay? Let's let's fill this place up. How's that sound, okay? And then we'll talk about Jesus a lot next week too, okay? Alright, let's pray, and then you guys come down and welcome them before you head out. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for the time. Thanks so much for the day. Thanks for um, Chris and Lynn and Mike and Amanda that have uh, come this morning and said, hey, we want to be a part of what God is doing here, and I'm so grateful. I'm so honored. I, I'm praying for those, Lord, that are here today that are struggling with hurts and pains and dealt with loss of, of loved ones. I just want to pray over them and lift them up to you, God, as well today. And, and um, thank you again for your word and the, the power of it and the transforming nature of it that, that changes us, goes from hiding in a room to pro boldly proclaiming that's only the work of your Holy Spirit in our life. Thank you for that. Pray you bless the rest of the day together. In Jesus' name, amen.